Hello, and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Kate McKay, and today I'm joined by Angus Dawson, who's the editor of the journal Public Health Ethics. And today we're actually going to be discussing authorship and acknowledgement and a few different um, issues with regard to publishing in academia. So, hi, Angus. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Great. Thanks so much for being here to discuss this with me. You have loads of experience in um, journals and publishing and that kind of thing. So um, I mentioned that you're the editor of Public Health Ethics, and I believe you, in fact, started the journal. So I guess I wondered first, um, what what are your experiences with journals, publication, being an editor? Yes. So um, the... Journal was founded, came out in 2008, which now seems like a long time ago. Um, and I've worked a lot with my friend and colleague, Marcel Vevey, and we co-founded the, the journal. And at the time, we were a little bit worried that we already knew everybody in the world who worked on the, <laughs> the, the area of uh, public health ethics. And we're very pleased to say that we have um, get a lot of work now from people that we've not met before and not, not heard of, um, mm-hmm. which is great. And that, what that suggests is that there is a growing field, a, a growing body of work there. Um, there's a literature that genuinely is, I, th- I think, increasingly distinct from what we might call sort of mainstream um, bioethics. Yeah, well, that's great. And um, have you been, I mean, what led to becoming the editor of a journal or kicking off the journal? I guess we uh, were very keen to try and sort of push people to think about what are the ethical issues, what's distinctive about the ethical issues that arise in the area of public health and um, provide a, a, a forum for thinking about developing the, the arguments, focusing on case studies, uh, try to develop a little bit as a distinct area within bioethics more generally. So it, it's, we were lucky enough to kind of get in a, at, a, at a time where there was growing interest in this area, but there weren't other journals that provided the same kind of focus. So another area, for example, of bioethics, which emerged around the same time, would be something like neuroethics, mm. where I think there were uh, two or three journals that, that basically started around the same time. Mm. And maybe that's then meant that there's less of a kind of focus of building a particular vision for what the area of neuroethics is. Maybe and Maybe that's good or bad. So... Mm. Uh, there's an interesting set of issues about if you just have one journal and you have a particular kind of uh, perspective upon that, which is, is there behind the journal, you know, we take a pretty strong line trying to sort of police the boundaries as it were for what counts as a public health ethics issue. Mm. So, you know, we, we do occasionally get papers on euthanasia and abortion, for example. And what we do is, in principle, we would accept a paper on one of those topics, but it would have to be 
a paper that was focused on more thinking about things from a public health, a population perspective. So, mm. for example, on abortion, you know, if you are looking at the impact of regulations or laws upon the harms at the population level of not of, of you know restrictive abortion practices, for example, then that's something that would fit the remit of the journal. Mm. Whereas if it's just about um, responding to some kind of tweak in a thought experiment relating to uh, abortion as a um, ethical or unethical individual-based decision, then that is something that would not fit the remit of the journal. Mm. Yeah, that would be more of the bioethics, medical ethics sort yeah. of field. So in your in your experiences as an editor and as a reviewer before that, I would assume, um, have you noticed particular trends in authorship through public health ethics and bioethics more broadly? Yes, um, and I think there are a couple of things that I'd sort of mention as, as key. Mm. So I did do a little analysis, which was then going to go into an editorial that we will write at some point for public health ethics that looks at one trend in relation to authorship, which is the, the increase in the average number of authors. Oh, interesting. So over the course of what's now, um, we're into our 13th year, I think, of um, the, the journal Public Health Ethics, mm-hmm. we've seen uh, an, an increase in the average number of, of authors over that time. And I think that reflects a, a number of things. I mean, here we're grasping for explanations for this. Mm-hmm. I, I think one is a increasing focus on what we might call empirical methods within bioethics generally, which tends to increase authorship. So if you think about bioethics as being an interdisciplinary field where you have people who perhaps different expertise, drawing from sociology, philosophy, etc., then that will tend to increase the, the number of authors. Um, I think the, the converse of that is thinking about um, the reduction in more philosophical perspectives in relation to, to bioethics. Philosophy or humanities uh, subjects in, in general tend to have more of an idea about authorship being attached to the actual writing of the paper itself. And therefore, within that disciplinary tradition, there tends to be fewer um, authors. I think another pressure is from everybody that's an academic is under pressure to generate as many papers as possible. And that does then encourage an idea about Um, projects which are perhaps uh, funded and you have a team of people again perhaps with different disciplinary backgrounds and there's a a sort of implicit assumption that by being on a project you then count as an author and I think that then raises questions and we've been trying to sort of push back a little bit on this with with um, our journal public health ethics to sort of ask people why there are so many authors. So we've actually set the default now for our journal is that you can't have more than three authors 
unless you, you justify that through special consideration. So that then runs into the other kind of influence here, I think, which is disciplinary norms about what counts as authorship. And I think this is a really key thing. And I think the more empirical work that's done in bioethics broadly, the more that there's a kind of expectation that you will be governed by what I would think of as being more medical disciplinary norms rather than humanities disciplinary norms. So the fact that you have um, gathered some empirical data but played no role in actually literally writing the paper is a sufficient kind of justification for, on some people's grounds for actually counting as an author. But in some other cases, being a senior person who has got the initial grant seems to also count as sufficient criterion for being counted as an author. Mm. So it's kind of um, thinking where I guess every journal has to try and make a decision here about what their view of authorship is and then try and police that because essentially this is increasingly contested and in an area like bioethics which is interdisciplinary multidisciplinary i think it becomes really really difficult because different people who are sending in papers to a journal like ours they themselves have different ideas of what counts as authorship we, as I say, are trying to kind of push back a little bit on this and ask questions. And it's really interesting the responses that you get when, when you ask questions about authorship because mm-hmm. um, some people immediately sort of go from 10 authors to two authors <laughs> when, 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 they, when they're asked that question. And the very fact that they do that, I think, is very interesting. Other groups like push back themselves and they say, no, 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 all of these people are authors. They all played, they meet the criteria for the international um, medical editors journal statement as to what counts as as authorship, which is very, um, very open as to what counts as a contribution sufficient to count as, as an author. We are trying to establish a narrower kind of idea about there must be a contribution to the actual writing of the paper itself. And again, that's, that's trying to sort of have more of a humanities kind of perspective. And the other kind of paper that you occasionally get is what I would refer as to as being more like statement papers. So you have a symposium. In the days we could meet up uh, all together, you'd have some some meeting of people from all around the world in some glamorous place, usually in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And then there would be a statement on a particular uh, topic, which was usually written by just one or two people, but everybody at at the meeting would be asked to read it, comment it, revise it, and so on. And then there'll be a, a, a final version produced. And essentially people that would count as authors on that would essentially be endorsing the particular statement. And again, I personally don't think of that as being um, sufficient grounds for authorship, but you would get a paper with you know, maybe 25 authors. I'm, I'm doing scare quotes there. Um, <laughs> 
So, so yeah, I think that that's some of the, the broad trends. I think the number of authors is going up and I think mm -hmm. it, it's time for us to think critically about what's actually going on there. And, and is that a trend that we just um, accept or do we actually want to, to push back? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you mentioned the um, International Medical Editors um, Standards, Medical Journal editors standards and i wonder if is there such a thing for the humanities editors or no such thing no we've we've not been able to find it and actually um so our journal is published by oxford university press mm -hmm. we've had lots of discussion with them like looking at other journals and whether they have statements about authorship and so on mm. and and basically all of the medical and science ones go with that statement mm -hmm. and um, humanities ones tend to just have nothing because mm. the, the notion of authorship is essentially disciplined by the norms within that particular discipline. So mm -hmm. I think the idea is that there's, there's no parallel kind of trends for the increase in authorship in history or religious studies or, or philosophy, I think. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So now for um, a slightly different question, but still about acknowledging, um, acknowledging people's input to a paper. Um, and this is a question that arises because of a um, kind of off the back of a recent paper that's come out in the journal, um, Theoria, that is about whether and how we should acknowledge reviewers' comments um, that have significantly improved a paper. So I think you know, and some of the things that you were just saying there about um, authorship and how authorship is kind of expanding. And like, if you've just, for example, if it's the lab kind of model where the person who won the grant has their name and immediately on every paper that comes out of that grant, they may have actually had no role in writing the paper. Whereas um, perhaps a reviewer who's given really good and careful comments has in fact had even more of a role in helping to shape that paper or improve that paper than that grant winner did. And how do we, um, how do we either acknowledge or kind of incorporate that into the way that the, um, that authorship kind of gets acknowledged? I mean, I guess it would be very unusual to say that the reviewer is somehow then an author, but when we're thinking about the contribution they've made to the paper, it does seem more significant than perhaps some people who would be listed as an author. So what do you, yeah, what's your view on whether or not reviewers should be acknowledged and how that role sort of plays out with authorship? Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting set of issues thinking about essentially the contribution that is made by different parties. So the review process itself, I think, is really important as a means of having an expert in the particular area reflect upon and give you feedback and um, provide you with some, some thoughts that you can choose to either take into account or, or not. And I think you're right that the more that you go towards that medical and science kind of idea about what counts as authorship, the more problematic these kinds of considerations um, seem to be. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that, um, 
acknowledgement and gratitude should reflect the the amount of ever, um, effort that's that's made. And mm. you know, I th I think it's it's often the case that reviewers' comments can be really really positive and, and helpful. Of course, in some cases they they can also be nasty, mean-spirited, <laughs> unhelpful. I, I don't think there's anything wrong in kind of pushing back. Um, and th this is one of the things that occasionally I'm asked to give talks to early career people in relation to publishing in, in journals. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is to not over-revise their papers in response to reviewers' comments. You know, at the end, end of the day, it's your paper and you have to have confidence in it. And sometimes I've seen papers that are actually weaker as a result of the, re the review process because they've taken far too seriously the detail of the comments that have come from reviewers. So I think having confidence in your own views and sort of saying, this is a different perspective, are there things here that I can uh, take in and find useful and, and positive, but don't be afraid to kind of push back when there are things which take you off in a different direction or, you know, there those annoying reviewer comments that, oh, it would be far better if you'd written a paper about X when I'm <laughs> writing about Y. Um, right. but, but I think going back to, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but going back to this central issue about... Um, the role of reviewers, I think certainly within um, humanities uh, disciplines or humanities perspectives, the role of the reviewer is really, really um, important and um, can be really influential in terms of revising um, mm -hmm. work. And I think it's good to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. We have had a couple of times in our journal reviewers actually requesting to be identified so at the end of the review process so um, our review process is double-blinded like like many um, traditional humanities journals mm -hmm. so you wouldn't normally know who a named individual was as a reviewer but the request has come from a reviewer who felt that their review has actually influenced the revision of the paper. So when they've seen the second version, they've sort of said, well, I would like to be identified to the authors so that I can be thanked appropriately in the acknowledgements. And I think that's a really interesting process. Mm -hmm. Of course, other journals have a completely open um, process. And I think that has potential advantages and disadvantages. I think mm -hmm. the Personally, I'm a big fan of um, anonymized reviewing because it means that you, there's a danger that, for example, you might be impressed by the name of a particular author who has some authority within the field and maybe you are um, going to pull your punches when it comes to the review process because you're impressed by who the author is rather than reading the paper on its own merits. Mm -hmm. And... Um, one experience I had many years ago when I reviewed a paper was um, it was for a journal which had a system of, of anonymization, which the paper was produced by a big name in the field. And I'm sure I would have been 
intimidated by that and been less critical in my review if, if I knew um, at that stage who the author was. Of course, I found out later on when that paper was published. In that case, I recommended rejection and the <laughs> decided to accept the paper anyway. <laughs> and that's interesting too, um, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yes. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I've been in the, um, I've been in the reverse position uh, to the reviewers that you mentioned, where recently I submitted a paper to a journal and I got really detailed reviewer comments back that I think significantly improved the paper. And I sort of said in my um, comments back to the editors, you know, I really wish that I could acknowledge these people properly instead of just saying the generic thank you to two anonymous reviewers, etc. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, if you then met these people later at a conference or at a talk or something like that, they might know that they've reviewed, reviewed that paper for you, but you don't know that they've done you that service in, in return. So it's asymmetrical. And it just think in that case, I sort of think, you know, if I did meet these people, um, at a conference, perhaps I already even know them. I would want to be able to say thank you <laughs> and just say, I really appreciated that. And, you know, whatever that means, because I think it is important to acknowledge that, um, that they've done that work for you. Yes. So I think in that kind of situation, it's completely appropriate to um, ask whether they would be willing to be acknowledged mm. at the end of the process. Mm. So um, I think, you know, we ought to be moving in a direction where we're able to do that. So as I said, I think there are advantages to an anonymized reviewer process, but I think to truly acknowledge where some um, individuals have made a, a significant contribution to perhaps reshaping or developing the author's ideas in, in a paper, we ought to be able to do more to actually acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me about this, Angus. It's a really interesting and big topic. And if anyone is interested in reading about this further, the article that I mentioned that sort of kicked off this discussion and thinking about this is entitled, Should Acknowledgements in Public Academic Articles Include Gratitude for Reviewers Who Reviewed for Journals That Rejected Those Articles? So something we haven't really touched on in our conversation. And that paper is published in Theoria, um, authored by Juna Rasanen and Pekka Luhiala. And I'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So thanks so much for being with me today, Angus. And thanks so much to everyone for listening to this episode of the She Research Podcast. You can find the paper I've just mentioned linked in the notes, along with the transcript of the episode. SheePod is hosted by me, Catherine McKay, and produced by Madeline Goldberger. And you can find our other episodes on Spotify, Radio Public, Anchor, or wherever else you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks again for listening. Bye.